Welcome to the Tunnable Research Update. This is a series where we hear about some of the work from Tunnable Research directly from our researchers. Today we have Juliana Carullo and Satnam Narang, uh, the Senior Security Response Manager with the Security Response Team. I'm Claire Tills, your host. So we're going to start off talking to Satnam and yet again, we're just going to start talking about Patch Tuesday and how wild it was. Yeah, I know. So thanks, Claire. Um, last month was what we thought was going to be a doozy of a month because there were about 99 CVs patched in February. We thought, okay, this is a pretty pretty big Patch Tuesday, but Microsoft decided to one-up themselves. This month, they patched 115 CVs, and uh, 26 of them were rated as critical. Um, there were about 31 remote code execution vulnerabilities patched this month. But the bulk of vulnerabilities patched this month were uh, elevation of privilege flaws. There were about 58 of them. Yeah, I think, I hope this isn't, you know, the new trajectory for Patch Tuesday, because we always talk about how Patch Tuesday is tough to manage. And that's when it was, you know, 50 to 70 vulnerabilities in a single go. Now it's 99, 115 with this proportion of criticals. That is, that is a lot to deal with for an organization. Yeah, exactly. I mean, who knows? I mean, this has been pretty, pretty much a crazy year so far with January having that big uh, NSA bug and then February being a pretty big month. And now this month, which we're also going to talk about in a few minutes about uh, the other vulnerability that kind of popped up on the radar. But I did want to mention that um, there were multiple vulnerabilities this month in uh, Internet Explorer, Microsoft Edge's uh, scripting engine. Uh, these are memory corruption vulnerabilities that can be exploited by an attacker, attacker that creates a malicious web page and convinces a user to visit it. Yeah, I, I remember reading in the blog, you know, we had this <clears throat> large chunk of, of vulnerabilities related to the, it's the, what, the chakra core um, component for Internet Explorer and Edge. And that's that was a big bulk of, of vulnerabilities. And then you've got all of the elevation of privilege ones. So it's it, it, it seemed a little refreshing, honestly, because we I read these these blogs from you guys every month and there is a bit of a cadence to them. You know, it's a remote code execution. It's in this, it's this. And this month, not only was it 115 vulnerabilities, but it was, it was a couple of things that we may not have seen before. So I feel like Microsoft's just, you know, spicing it up for us, keeping things interesting. And with that, we can we can move on to a fairly spicy vulnerability, uh, CVE 2020-0796. Yeah, so this one was the one that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, so essentially, you know, what happens on Patch Tuesday is vendors like Tenable and others, we publish our analysis of Patch Tuesday, you know, what was in it, what our customers need to know about. So there are multiple security vendors writing blogs about this, including one security vendor in particular that actually happened to publish some information on a vulnerability that we didn't actually see in the uh, list of vulnerabilities that Microsoft patched. It was kind of odd because the information wasn't public. It was for, as you mentioned, CV 2020-0796, a uh, vulnerability in server message block version 3. The interesting thing about this, though, is that soon after they published their blog with this information, they actually then yanked it from the blog post, but not before security researchers had a chance to publish this information on Twitter, start speculating about it. And then as soon as that happened, I think it kind of all hell broke loose and Microsoft ended up actually publishing an advisory separately about the vulnerability, though in their advisory, they actually did not 
identify it by the CVE that was initially referenced. So it's unclear whether or not that'll actually be the CVE once they do publish information about it in terms of patching and all that. But as of right now, we're going to stick with that because that was what we saw previously. Yeah, it's one of those rare occurrences where using the like branded name of a vulnerability is actually useful because there are multiple CVEs <laughs> or there may be in the future multiple CVEs. So keeping track of everything under that umbrella might be helpful in terms of it was, I think I've seen Eternal Darkness and what was the other one? Um, SM SMB Ghost. Yeah, which are both fun. Um, I did a quick Google search because I recognized Eternal Darkness and it turns out it's a GameCube video game. Um, I guess I must have played it growing up, but I guess creativity pays off when you're a, a researcher and you get the opportunity to come up with some fun names. So that is something. Um, so tell me a little bit about this. I know we've seen a lot of connections and even with the name Eternal Blue. Um, can you kind of talk about how these are different you know, in terms of level of severity and how concerned people should be? Yeah, so I mean, let's start off first by discussing the vulnerability itself. So it's a flaw in the way SMB version 3 handles certain requests. Um, so in order to exploit this vulnerability, say from the SMB v3 server side, an unauthenticated remote attacker um, would need to send a specially crafted packet to a vulnerable server. But if you're running an SMB v3 client, you would need to then convince a, a user to actually visit a malicious SMB v3 server, and that would be the way that it would exploit it on the client side. Um, if you exploit this vulnerability, you would be able to gain arbitrary code execution. There were not a whole lot of details provided in Microsoft's advisory. However, there was another vendor that published some information in an IPS rule that basically said that this is a buffer overflow vulnerability that happens to occur because of an error in handling compressed data packets. Now, as you mentioned, you were talking about the connection to Eternal Blue. That affected uh, SMB version one. This one affects SMB version three. So the scope of it is a little bit smaller because it only impacts certain versions of Windows and Windows Server. In this case, it, it affects Windows uh, uh, 10. I think it was uh, 1903 and 1909 in Windows Server 1903 and 1909. So a smaller scope compared to what uh, Eternal Blue was, uh, but definitely concerning because you know it's in SMB and we've obviously seen it being abused in the past with Eternal Blue and the WannaCry, WannaCry attacks. Yeah, it's, it's definitely something to be aware of. <clears throat> and I've seen kind of debates go back and forth online on whether or not or what, what kind of mitigations are best? So can you tell me a little bit about those recommended mitigations and, and how organizations can evaluate those? Yeah, so in their advisory, Microsoft uh, provided a uh, PowerShell command that will be used to disable the uh, data um, compression for SMB v3. So you can apply that PowerShell command and also you can block um, traffic coming into port 445 TCP. So these mitigation, they're not necessarily mitigations in the sense that they're more workarounds to basically prevent attackers from exploiting it. And I should caution that while this is a pretty interesting and, and seems like a big deal, it's going to take some time for attackers to potentially identify the vulnerability and then weaponize it into an exploit. So it's certainly cause for concern, but not so much to where you need to panic. Yeah, you've got a little bit of time to evaluate your posture of like, where do we have SMB uh, enabled? Where are these these vulnerable instances? 
put those workarounds in place before hopefully, knock on wood, the attackers get around to writing that exploit. All right, anything else we need to know about this one before we, we move on a little bit? Yeah, I mean, we're constantly updating our blog post for this vulnerability. We're actually in the process of updating it with more information in terms of uh, tenable product coverage, how you can identify vulnerable SMBV3 servers in your environment. So keep an eye out on our blog, which will, I'm sure, be included in the show notes for this. It will. All right. So with that, we can move on to a different vulnerability with Microsoft. Um, this one is the Microsoft Exchange server vulnerability from a little earlier this month. Yeah, so back in February during the Patch Tuesday for the month of February, Microsoft patched a severe vulnerability in Microsoft Exchange server. Um, it's identified as CVE 2020-0688. Um, it's a static key vulnerability. Initially, when Microsoft released the advisory for it, they had it referenced as a totally different, like a memory corruption vulnerability. But then they updated it in post and clarified it was actually a static key vulnerability. And it exists in the Microsoft Exchange panel, uh, which we'll refer to as ECP for short. Uh, this is actually a component of Microsoft Exchange Server. Now, there was some research done that was published soon after this advisory was uh, put out by Microsoft that says that Microsoft Exchange Server uses the same validation key and decryption key in their web configuration for the Exchange Control Panel, or excuse me, the Exchange Panel. Uh, these keys are used to secure server-side data stored in a serialized format. Now, for an attacker to actually leverage this, uh, these uh, static keys, they would also need some additional parameters in order to craft a malicious request to a vulnerable ECP instance. These include the view state generator as well as the ASP.NET session ID. Unfortunately, you would actually need to uh, obtain that information from a logged in user. But fortunately, there's ways that attackers could leverage um, scripts and tools out there to basically target organizations by like scraping their uh, LinkedIn company profile, collecting usernames, and then basically brute forcing their way into an environment. So while that seems like a, a mitigating factor that you need to be logged in in order to obtain this information, it's not that hard to achieve. So the other component that's actually really concerning about this too is that there are a lot of exchange server instances out there that are vulnerable because they are way behind patching on this one. So it's definitely a big deal. And I did want to mention most recently, there were reports that an advanced persistent threat group has started to actually utilize this vulnerability in attacks. Yeah, a lot of the, the conversation I saw around this vulnerability was like, this is a problem. This is, it, it may only, you know, it's, it's severe, it's, but it's something to definitely be aware of and, and keep an eye on. Um, Interesting. So we we have covered, the SRT has covered a lot more vulnerabilities since we last spoke, but um, we do want to move on so we can talk to our guest this month. Juliana Carullo is the Research Engineering Manager with the Tenable Vulnerability Database. So to kick things off, Juliana, this is your first time on this um, show. So can you tell us a little bit more about your team and what it does? Hi, Claire. Thanks for having me today. So Long story short, we collect and module the vulnerability landscape and we make it available to Tenable's products, including Lumen, Nessus, by means of uh, automation, just to mention uh, some. And what are some of the sources you collect data from? 
So as Ryan mentioned in the into the previous research update, we collect data from MVD and plenty of security advisories, but uh, we also enable internal knowledge from tenable researchers to be made available and shared all across the organization. Yeah, last month we had Ryan Hoy on and he talked a little bit about his team and how they scrape sources. And yes. this your, so your team kind of expands on that with some of the internal sources, some of the internal data and knowledge that we've got. Oh, yes, actually our teams are very well linked together. And meanwhile, the deal, let's say with the first line of acquiring data sources, we within TVD handle all the modeling, the infrastructure and the analysis on top of the vulnerability landscape. And we cascade all the data and the services that we build on top of it all across the, the board. So it's kind of, we had Ryan um, last month as the first step, and now we've got you on this month as the second exactly. step. Exactly. So our next time <laughs> is the actual plugin automation. Exactly. So anticipating the next step. <laughs> right. All right. So what are some of the projects your team is working on right now? So it has been so far an incredible year. Um, I'm basically having my one year with Tenable, and this has been just incredible. We had several big wins, uh, many of which are actually part of a broader collaboration across uh, across Tenable from other research teams as well as data science. Uh, one of those that I always like to mention is what we call the pre-MVD project. So remember, within Tenable, we live and breathe cyber-exposure. And as such, we collaborated on ways to provide even better predictive prioritization to our uh, customers to rely on. Specifically, what happens is that, assume from the moment we get to know about a vulnerability and the moment that it actually gets published into MVD, even months can go by. And as you can imagine, delays of days can be scaringly impactful for critical vulnerabilities Let's imagine if goes like delays of weeks or just months. Uh, so at the end of the day, what they really um, matter for us is how can we best use the tremendous knowledge that we have internally, map it with automation to provide best in class services. Great. Also, yeah, no, there is also another thing. Since we have Statnum here on board, uh, we have plenty of cross-functional uh, collaboration. So. Uh, we've been recently closing a few more initiatives also with Sadnam. So Sadnam, maybe you can walk us through some of the research that we uh, we did together. Yeah, absolutely, Juliana. So um, our teams definitely are very collaborative. We we basically, like Juliana said, she's also her team's also first line of defense when it comes to collecting this information. My team as well, the security response team, we're constantly crawling RSS feeds ourselves, looking at Twitter as well, looking for information that might be relevant to our customers about newly disclosed vulnerabilities, vulnerabilities being exploited in the wild. So then we could then enable our teams internally to basically react and respond in a quick and efficient manner so that we can provide our customers with the most up-to-date coverage and make sure that they're able to identify vulnerable assets in their environment. Yeah, it's that that ear to the ground of saying, "Hey, we 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 hear this. This is bubbling up. More researchers are talking about it. There are whispers that an exploit is in development. Um, those sorts of, you know, almost like softer points of data that can uh, trigger our internal process to process to processes. Ooh, excuse me, to say we should be taking a look at this vulnerability. We should be prioritizing this for our internal analysis. Great." 
What are some of the challenges that your team is working on, Juliana, to solve? That's a great question. So with more than 130,000 vulnerability out there known so far, surely enough, none of us can cover them all. So one of the big challenges that we were trying to solve is not only giving customers a way, tools, on figuring out how to properly prioritize uh, coverage, but we're also researching on how to take a data-driven, so really looking at what insights can we extract from the vulnerability landscape that we have to approach coverage. And this is really a complex space to deal with. Uh, we have plenty of corners to look at the data, plenty of criteria to, to play around with. So, and it's really challenging and funny one. So stay tuned for more. Yeah, I can't wait to see more on on how the team is is looking at it. Because you're right, there are so many different angles to examine that landscape and see what what really matters from a coverage and prioritization perspective. perspective. Yeah. yeah. So, what are some things you think customers should know about your team and how it works? First and foremost, that we are always, always, always on the lookout for new vulnerabilities, either both publicly available, research-driven, and we're really amplifying and consolidating tenable knowledge. On the other side, I want to stress out that a solid knowledge of the vulnerability landscape is critical for just every business. Uh, it does not matter what the industry you really uh, work in. You need accurate, timely, and easy-to-use uh, information around your asset. And this is really what drives most of the work that, uh, that we do. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I did want to point out on uh, just one little plug and kind of kudos to Satnam is one of the vulnerabilities we didn't have a chance to talk about is Ghost Cat, the uh, CVE 2020-1938 in Apache Tomcat. And I just wanted to give Satnam and the SRT a shout out because they were one of the first English language resources out there talking about that vulnerability. Um, and I think that does show that internal process of the knowledge and intelligence we have here, being able to kind of activate things and get things moving um, for the automation and analysis bits. So with that, I am going to open it up for questions from the audience. Anyone who has a question can go ahead and throw it in the Q&A panel. As we wait to see if any questions filter in, um, Juliana, if someone is actually interested in joining your team, what do they need to know? Even a better question. So we're definitely expanding the, uh, the team all across Senable. Generally speaking, engineering skills and if you'd like to you know have an interest even just figuring out a little bit more what it looks like to live day-to-day to culture within tenable and the uh, the actual job just being us we're really really easy to to reach out and always happy to help out great yeah and you are based out of our dublin office correct yes but um a little bit more about the expander basically uh building up two teams that are currently in place and the teams are, uh, we really follow the sun. Um, so it's basically myself, I'm Dublin based, part of the team is Dublin based, but we also hire over uh, US. Yep. 
All right, so we did get question, one question in the box. Um, it is for Satnam and it's about CVE 2019-14598. Um, so the question is, how does this compare to Meltdown Inspector? And I'm actually racking my brain trying to remember this one as well. Right, because there's so many that have been coming out. There was also, I think, a LVI that just came out yesterday, I believe it was. I'm not 100% sure, I'm trying to remember because with Patch Tuesday and everything else going on, it's hard to keep up, but that's why we have a whole team on our side keeping up with all this stuff. Yeah, exactly. that load-value injection one. Um, I mean, I think Spectre and Meltdown obviously set the tone, and I think we're just going to continue to see more and more researchers continue to basically chip away at all the mitigations that Intel has put in place for um, these speculative execution speculative execution vulnerabilities, side channel vulnerabilities. And, uh, you know, I, th I think it's just sort of par for the course now. I, I imagine every year we're going to hear more and more about these flaws. As for how the actual real world impact is going to be, I think it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I think a lot of these vulnerabilities require, you know, uh, timing and, you know, it's, it, I would say I would be more concerned about things like the exchange server flaw or, you know, this SMB flaw and other ones that we would come across on a more month-to-month um, -month basis. Speculative execution is nice and it's great research, but if I were working in an organization, I'd be more concerned about these uh, impacts to like real world applications that we use on a day-to-day -day basis. I think that's really well put, and I I definitely agree. I think a lot of these like speculative execution flaws, they're like researchers' research of like you said, they're they're really interesting work. I I actually enjoy reading the academic write-ups of them, the bits I can understand. Sometimes they go over my head, but um, it is a very interesting, not quite thought experiment, but it is an interesting area to explore, but we still haven't seen anything real world with them yet. Someday we will, but for now, it's much more important to focus on the ones where, hey, active exploitation uh, is occurring or is imminent. And we know that APTs are leveraging these vulnerabilities. So it's, it's sort of, those are the fun things to think about to keep your mind moving, but in terms of functional security, you probably have other things to prioritize. Um, we had one more question that I drafted up in advance to talk about and we'll give folks any time. All right, so it looks like the last question we're gonna talk about is see if I can get Juliana to share any future plans they've got for the TBD. What are some oh, problems you're thinking about solving yeah. it? Sure. Uh, again, really extracting as as many insights from the data that we have. So it's not just the problem of the amount of data that we have, but also what can we, what can we extract in uh, still parts of an automation pipeline from, uh, from the data and also tools and way to make the data back available to internal users to better brainstorm and grow and even foster the research process that we that we have within Tenable. Yeah, it it once you start having a lot of data, it becomes a um, an embarrassment of riches sometimes. Oh yeah, 
So, and it's part of the, you know, the biology anomaly. It's kind of, I have so many cool problems that I can try to solve. Which one do I start tackling first? So it's, but it's a nice challenge to, to have, honestly. Mm -hmm. All right. We did get one more question from the audience. Um, the question is, are you aware of any known applications that may be affected when SMBV3 compression is disabled? And I think that that is something I've, that's one of the bits I've seen kind of out in the world of like, that is a great workaround. However, um, it might have, you know, downstream impacts. Satnam, anything you've seen? Yeah, no, I mean, obviously with this just dropping yesterday, I don't think the full scope and impact has actually been seen about what happens when you do disable a compression for SMBV3. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to say at this point, it's still too early. Um, and I think we're obviously going to hear more and more as as organizations and as researchers start to poke around and look into this ourselves included. Okay. Um, all right. And then we are we had a question on plugins. Those are currently in development, and the blog will be updated as soon as they're available. Actually, I just wanted to make mention our blog just was updated. We have a couple of plugins that um, are in place that'll help you determine the SMB dialects that are supported in your environment. So you can identify whether or not 3.1.1, uh, which is SMB v3, uh, is Im impacted or not, as well as uh, plugin ID 11936, which can be used to verify the operating system, because you obviously want to make sure that it's Windows 10 or Windows Server. So Good. So we've got a couple of plugins out there. They're linked in the blog, um, which you can find on the link that David provided in the uh, webinar chat, as well as it'll be sent out. Satnam, you've got another point. And obviously, we're going to continue to update the blog once we actually have uh, additional plugin coverage for this. Right now, there is no patch available. So we're basically waiting on Microsoft to provide uh, patch details. And once that becomes available, um, the plugin link in our blog will be updated. Yep. <laughs> this is a, an actively developing story. It's like we're on the news. <laughs> All right. I believe that is everything. We've, we've addressed the questions in chat and we're just about done with time. So I just wanted to remind everyone to follow along and subscribe to the Tenable blog to stay in touch with all of the cyber exposure alerts and other blogs from research. You can also follow on the community, the Cyber Exposure Alert group, and follow us on social media at Tenable Security. Uh, with that, I will thank both of my panelists for joining me this month. Thank and, you very much. And wish everybody a good day. Bye.